This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. and welcome to another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. For a lot of people, the nonprofit world is one of those things that you either love or you can't stand. It depends on, do you work as a fundraiser? Were you a fundraiser? Or are you one of those people that are constantly being bombarded for donations? But at the end of the day, though, there is so much that can be done in the nonprofit space. People that are fundraisers, like me, myself, in the past life, I was a professional fundraiser, and I'm still involved in a lot of nonprofit organizations. And my guest, who is a consultant to a lot of nonprofit organizations and has been involved in the same role as well as a fundraiser. But when we talk about fundraising and the nonprofit world, there are so many things that are involved and so many intricacies about the nonprofit space that really allows us to explore significantly more about the nonprofit world and how doing good can actually make a lot of difference. And so before I bring my guest on, let me tell you a little bit about him. Ryan Hyman was born in South Africa, but has now lived in the New York area, except for a five-year stint on the West Coast for most of his life. After graduating from college, Ryan embarked on the beginning of his not-for-profit journey before being wooed away to the world of commercial real estate finance for a decade. But the nonprofit world kept whispering in his ear, come back, come back. So Ryan returned to the not-for-profit world where he created the first development department at a local school and has occupied several positions, building his skills in the fundraising realm. In 2016, Ryan created RH Strategic as a side gig to help organizations that approached him for help on occasion. Today, RH Strategic helps diverse not-for-profit clients across the United States as a full-service consulting firm. Ryan, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Really appreciate being on the show. Absolutely. So Ryan, let me ask you, we had the field of dreams idea saying, come back, come back into the fundraising world. What was it about that itch in the fundraising side that made you decide you wanted to come back? So, so first of all, I, I should just mention, you know, at the beginning in your in your intro, um, you said that the not-for-profit world whispered for me to come back. It it didn't whisper. It yelled and screamed at the top of its lungs. It really did. Uh, you know, so you, you mentioned that I spent uh, a decade or so in uh, commercial real estate finance. Um, I still remember my interview uh, for that uh, for that position after I'd been in the not-for-profit world for for a number of years, um, where I sat down with the principal of the company, who I still to this day have a great relationship with. And I said to him, what exactly is commercial real estate finance? I had no clue. Um, and I still spent about, about as, as we said, about 10 years in that world, um, 
obviously learning a little bit more than not knowing from that interview uh, about what the heck I was talking about, uh, to the point where I was uh, able to close big deals, getting a lot of clients, uh, working with them, helping them uh, uh, with their with their with their properties, etc. But one of the things that was interesting is that you know I spent those ten years really as I say, making rich people richer. Thankfully, I was doing very nicely in the process, but I kept on feeling that tug. I kept on feeling that tug back into the not-for-profit world. Uh, you know, one of the things I realized as an example was, you know, we sit around uh, meals with friends and family, et cetera, and we all tell war stories. And I realized that the war stories I was telling weren't the stories about uh, an attorney who helped close a deal or an appraiser who, you know, who came in at, uh, at the appraise, appraisal rate that we were really hoping for and the banks that helped, et cetera, et cetera. Those weren't the war stories I was telling. All the war stories that I was telling were bringing back and harking back to my first experiences as, uh, as, uh, in, in the not-for-profit world uh, in my very, very first career out of college. Uh, and that's when I started realizing it wasn't just a whisper. It really was very much a tug back into that world uh, because I realized that, yes, I was moving, I was making rich people richer, but I wanted to go back to enriching people's lives as I did when I was in the not-for-profit world before. Um, and that was something that uh, for me was really incredibly exciting. And it's great that you had that, that it was calling you back, that it was hearkening you back to come back into that space. I know for me, I was there and I never really left because I've been working with organizations ever since uh, when I worked at a university uh, way back when. And so it's really all of that, that when you're in it, you realize you got to keep doing more. It's not like you can just walk away. But let me shift a little bit RH Strategic, the firm that you created, is there to help these organizations figure out some of the things that they can do when it comes to the nonprofit space. So give me an idea when people are coming to talk to you, what is some of the problems or what are some of the problems that these organizations are facing and how are you helping them navigate the landmines so that they don't end up blowing themselves up or otherwise getting injured? It's actually a very interesting question uh, because I, I, I happen to very much believe that there is a um, there's an, an, an interface between the not-for-profit world and the for-profit world. Um, so as an example, um, while yes, I, I, I serve the not-for-profit world, I'm still very much a business. Uh, I'm a for-profit business and my goal obviously is is certainly to make money but at the same time it's it's to it's to help organizations um, reach the levels that they need to and they should be reaching um, based on the incredible work that they're doing um, one of the things that i've i've always felt is that not-for-profits uh, do not view themselves as businesses even though they're a not-for-profit business, um, they very often view themselves first as a not-for-profit, and the, that business word doesn't really even come into the, into the scheme of things for a lot of them. Uh, and that's one of the things that I work very, very hard to help them understand that while they, yes, they are a not-for-profit business, you cannot lose emphasis and you can't lose focus on that word business as well. Because if you lose that focus on that word business and what 
all the everything that is entailed in that concept. Um, the question is, will you be as effective as a not-for-profit organization slash business? Uh, and my, my, my view is no. You need to think of things in a very strategic way. You need to think of things in a way that, frankly, most not-for-profits simply do not think about um, and in ways that they don't necessarily think. Uh, I'll tell you as, a, as an example, uh, in March of this year, an organization, uh, a school uh, approached me. Uh, they had a very, very interesting situation about their dinner coming up uh, where they had what, uh, what I would call a legacy honoree, uh, an honoree that was exceptional at, 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 at every, in every possible way. One, they were popular, very, very well-liked. Number two, well-respected. Number three, they were willing to provide their lists of all their friends, all their family, all the people that this organization could reach out to as they were being honored uh, by, by, this, by, by the school. Not only that, more important than all of that was that this was an honoree who was actually willing to pick up the phone and make solicitation calls to her friends, to her colleagues, to her family, whoever it may be, to really expand what the organization was doing. And they called me up. And they said, well, we've got this major opportunity here and we've got this event. We, we need to put our dinner together and we don't know how. And I started thinking about it and I said, you know, it's very, very interesting. Um, this is something that in my mind I'm able to do with relative ease. I understand the concepts because I'm always looking at things very much from a fundraising perspective. How can we turn this one conversation, how can we turn this one interaction that this particular honoree has and expand it so that the that the organization is successful as 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 a whole, um, and helping helping the school think very much from a strategic perspective, thinking in in ways that they haven't necessarily thought of before. But again, honing in on the business side of things was something that that was incredibly valuable to them and gives me the ability not only to help that school, but to help multiple organizations when you're thinking about it very much from a, a, a holistic perspective. I've got to be honest with you. I couldn't care less what color the napkins are at a dinner. It doesn't make a difference to me. Makes no difference to me whatsoever. They can be orange. They can be pink. They can be, it makes no difference whatsoever. However, the one time I am concerned about the color of the napkins is if I know that one of the donors an honoree, somebody who's involved in the organization and can make a major impact on the organization. If I know that they absolutely hate orange napkins, you can be sure there will not be an orange napkin anywhere in sight. But that's important because that's thinking about it not only from uh, from the donor's perspective, but really thinking about it from a business perspective. We look at any product. If a product isn't working in the way that it's supposed to for, for a, a particular uh, uh, customer, what value does that product have? The customer is going to get rid of it and move on to the next thing. And I believe that the same applies in the not-for-profit world as well. Um, we want to think about it from a business perspective about bringing those donors in um, and, and working with them in a, certainly in a very compassionate way, in a way that a not-for-profit should. Uh, but there are so many things that interaction between business and, and, and the not-for-profit world, I think for me, that's what gets me so excited. I love how you mentioned the color of the napkins as an example there. And it's funny because when uh, we do our chamber of commerce dinners, very often we're coming up with a theme for the evening when we work with the venue. And so we'll actually come up with the colors of the napkins. We'll do all of those pieces. And 
I mean, that becomes part of the actual evening and how everything else builds from that level. But you're right, it comes down to does somebody absolutely hate orange, in which case you're not going to do that. And the other thing that you mentioned there was that nonprofits get confused about the, are they nonprofit or are they a business? Only difference is the tax status. They're still a business at the end of the day. Exactly. Right? They're just registered as a 501c organization here in the United States and different ways around the globe, but they're still a business at the end of the day. And so it's really important for them to keep that in mind and call the person giving you money, whatever it is you want to call them, a patient, a donor, a client, a customer, a guest, a whatever. An investor. Um, Yes, and investor, I love using exactly. the word investor the because financial that, that, world, yeah, right. It's, and it's, but it's not only the financial world. It's it's you as a not for profit. You are giving your donors an opportunity to invest in what your not for profit does. So they're not just donors. They're not just supporting your work by being an investor. They're a part of that work. They're very much a part of it. They're literally holding your hand through that entire entire process. Yes, you as the organization are the vehicle for allowing them to do the good that they're doing. But without you as the organization, without them, with that partnership, nothing happens. Could not have said it better. Thank you. So let me ask you, Ryan, when we're looking at these organizations and, you know, let me actually take a, take it a step back a little bit more. Somebody has got this grand idea about working and setting up an organization for a cause, whatever it may be. There's a lot of things that they need to understand in the beginning when they're thinking about setting up this organization. Can you walk us through, not at a thousand foot level, but maybe at a 10,000, 20,000 foot level, what are some of those things that these organizations really need to be focused on as they are embarking on this journey to set up an organization? Interesting question. Uh, you know, I, I would I would say that one of the very first things is to determine, and this is this is standard business practice as well. Uh, but in in the not for profit world, it, it it people often skip this step, and that is: is there an actual need for this organization that you're thinking about to exist? Does another organization out there exist that's doing the same work? Um, what what are you bringing to the table that's a little bit different than any other organization? Um, I'm actually dealing with a situation right now with a client um, where I mean they've they've been very very well established uh, for for many years twenty plus years, uh, and uh, another organization is actually coming in um, kind of trying to uh, usurp their position and the, the you know the, the this the, this first organization's role within the community. Um, that, that second organization isn't paying attention to whether there's a need, whether they're able to service the, 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 the clients in a better way, um, and they're simply not doing it, which has opened up a whole, a whole slew of challenges um, for, for, for my clients, which we're, you know, we're obviously working through. But the first question to always ask, and I think, is, is there a need? Does it exist? Um, that, that, that so many not-for-profits start exactly 
in that way. Does that need exist? Can we fill the need? Um, so, you know, part of the way I think to to really figure that out um, is one, you know, certainly do do research. Uh, our friends at Google um, have the ability to to show us troves of information um, that really is fantastic. But then it's a matter of speaking to people within that community, not only your friends. You have to talk to people who you may not necessarily like. You want to get honest feedback, um, and that I think is something that's absolutely crucial. Um, with, with you know, without any doubt, to make sure that that you're not doing something that you know you're, you're spending. You're so passionate about this idea. You're so focused on it. You get it up and running, and then you discover, hold on, uh, there's another organization that already does this. What have I spent all this time, all this energy, all this money sometimes, because uh, it does cost money to establish a 501c3? Uh, you know, wh what are we going to do? The next, the next question that I think is always crucial to ask, and you've got to, you've got to pull emotion out of it, and that is, can this what, what are the needs of the organization from a financial perspective? And will we have the ability to ensure that in the long term, this organization not only succeeds, but thrives on behalf of the people who, or, or the cause um, that, that, that the organization was originally established in order to support? Um, and I think that those are probably the two most crucial elements. Um, without having that, you know, they say, I think it's the restaurant business uh, that some some ridiculous percentage. Uh, I'm going to say 50, but I think it's significantly higher than that. Um, but they say 50% of restaurants, new restaurants, go out of business in their first year. Um, Not-for-profits can go the same way. Uh, yes, they're not the tax ramifications if you don't if the business doesn't succeed uh, of keeping a business up and running. There are not-for-profits out there that that don't do anything, but they've been around for decades, um, but they still do nothing because they they couldn't get themselves off the ground. They couldn't create the financial stability that was necessary in order for them to succeed, producing results for the cause that uh, that they were originally founded for. Um, so I think those are the two major things to always uh, to, you know to always look at um, from. From, from that perspective. Thank you, and uh, just a statistic that you might find interesting is that according to independentsector.org, there are currently over 1.8 million nonprofit organizations in the United States today, as of the day of this recording. That's a lot the way, of organizations. If, do, do you know how many there are in Canada? How many? Something around 5,000. Canada's Canada's laws are, are are significantly more restricted. And by the way, when I say five thousand, it could be six. It, you know, it, it's not an exact number. But I'm I'm rounding. Um, Canada's laws are a lot more restrictive uh, when it comes to the creation, the formation of a not-for-profit. Uh, the United States is very very liberal when it comes to uh, uh, you know creating not-for-profit organizations. And it's like you were saying. I mean, one of the things that I have been saying for so long is that the IRS, as part of its 501c approval process really should be looking at is there already an existing organization that is serving the same market that this organization is set up to serve In well other do, words, do you do you think that that's a that's the responsibility of government though i think that it is the responsibility if people are giving money and it is a charitable contribution that is then a tax deductible receipt to the government, that the government has a responsibility to ensure that these organizations are running efficiently and they're not running in a way that is going to be holding back 
the mission instead of just giving salary to people. In other words, if somebody is saying that I'm setting up another Parkinson's Research Foundation, as an example, right? How many Parkinson's organizations can there possibly be, right? At the end of the day, if you have 30 organizations and they're each competing for salary or for donor dollars, and they're paying salary to their directors and their employees and everything else, what about the actual mission of finding a cure for Parkinson's? What about the money that the NIH, the National Institutes for Health, is giving to these organizations to help them in that process? So I'm not saying that every organization individually would be judged the same. As an example, a chamber of commerce is going to be extremely different from a particular cause organization. And there's a difference also in the legal categorization of the same perspective too. A chamber of commerce is a 501c6 organization as opposed to a traditional nonprofit, which is a 501c3. And so that is definitely going to be a major difference in that regard as well. But one of the things that the government can certainly do is simple question on the form. How are you different from the other organizations out there? If somebody can really put an answer on the 501c filing, how they differ, it may or may not be something that would stop them, but at least they would know who else is in that space in order to answer that question properly. And so... So I, again, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to interrupt for a second because I, I do have to take uh, um, uh, challenge you on this one. Sure. Um, and that is that you know I, I hear what you're saying from from a conceptual perspective. However, is it is it the responsibility of the internal revenue service? to provide that that level of judgment. I understand the NIH. The NIH has multiple different Parkinson's organizations that fall under its umbrella or that that that, that are required to to provide feedback or or updates on what they're what they're doing. So they have a certain amount of control to to an extent. But I don't know if the IRS, if it's if it really falls within their mandate uh, to kind of get involved in some in something like that. Uh, because again there there is pure there 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 focus is purely financial. But if you look at individual organizations, and I'm not talking about the, the major Parkinson's organizations, but if you look at smaller organizations um, within a community, you may have one or two or three organizations where there is overlap. Not, they're not all necessarily doing exactly the same thing. Although, again, there, there are sometimes situations where they're doing almost the, the exact same thing. However, there's always nuance. And the question is, is the IRS uh, sophisticated enough, no offense to the IRS, actually, offense to the IRS, we don't care, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, wait, the question is, is the IRS sophisticated enough? Is an IRS form sophisticated enough to really understand the difference between two different organizations that may appear to be doing very, very similar stuff, but really aren't? Because their their audiences are just slightly different, um, their their what their their services are just slightly different, but not different enough. Different enough within their community, but not necessarily different enough for an IRS form to 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 pick up the nuance. So let me play devil's advocate for a moment. The U.S. Patent and Trade Office, right? Every single time you file anything with the USPTO you need to 
clearly say what is different about your application in order to get something that is given to you. As they say, they prosecute each application. And that's actually the word they use. They prosecute each application in order to define what is there as a novel concept or not a novel concept. And so government is there looking at what it is that is going to say yes or no, that is different or not different. In this case, can the IRS potentially find something that is going to be different? Yes. Might they find things that are still overlap and still grant the 501c3 filing? Sure. If there is enough of a nuance in what the people say their mission is, it would make many organizations think more strategically going into the creation phase of their organization and in the management phase of the organization, as opposed to starting up 30 organizations that are in the exact same space. And so I'm not saying that the IRS is going to stop every single organization from getting that approval. However, I believe that it will cut back on some of the organizations that are created simply to provide another salary. There are many ways that you can partner with an organization and be a driving component to what they're doing. In other words, if you wanted to open up a local office of the Parkinson's Association in Teaneck, New Jersey, as an example, you may be able to go to the Parkinson's organization that you're interested in. And I'm going to throw out Michael J. Fox's association as an example and say, all right, he's based in New York. You want something in LA. You can potentially then get that office in LA where you are his outreach in LA instead of creating your own. Because what you do there is you play off of whatever goodwill and value the existing organization has instead of creating something brand new where you're trying to get new donors. There's only so much money that the public has to be giving to these organizations at any given time that would do that. And so that's where my mind is in terms of that idea. But um, I see your part also in terms of, is it really the sophistication of what these forms are about? And I'll tell you, I'm just, uh, we're going through it um, with an organization that I serve on uh, in terms of that 501c filing and getting all of that done. And I mean, being a trustee of my Crime Stoppers organization, how many Crime Stoppers are around there? But again, we're now six towns and we're expanding and getting more towns to come in. Is that really different? Yes, because we can't cover every single town in the country or in the world. Right. So there's individual organizations. That's kind of the idea where that nuance is, right? So if you're really specific in terms of who you serve, it's a lot easier. Like you're a food pantry and you're serving the people in this community, or you are a greater food bank that serves a state, right? Or uh, the world's central kitchen, right? There's a lot different ideas in that. And then again, you've got the individual chapters then um, from there, but uh, we're kind of really veering far from 
where we were going here. Well, so so, so I think I think I'm I'm going to make a comment that I think may actually bring us back to 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 where we 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 started. Um, you know, I I I happen to have the the, the view uh, when it comes to to certain types of campaigns, certain types of events, uh, dinners, golf tournaments, uh, various things that my that that my consulting company um, advises clients on. Um, one of the things in particular um, actually re revolve around dinner committees, and I happen to believe that that the bigger a dinner committee, the better. And part of the thinking behind it, there, there are a number of different psychological reasons for it. Um, but one of the one of the practical reasons to have a very, very large dinner committee is because there are those people who work and those people who don't work. That's standard. That's in any committee. That's in any on any board. That's in any organization. That's almost in any company. Um, my concern that I would have if if not-for-profits are regulated by the IRS and, and, and the IRS or any, any governmental organization where they're saying, well, you can't do this because some, somebody else does it. What's to say that that organization is doing it well? What's to say that that organization is able to, to keep up with all the various uh, clients and, 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 and people that it's, it's supposed to service? Sometimes there's a, there's a finite amount of, um, amount of resources that any one individual organization has. And by spreading that, that, that wealth, by having more than one, I'm not, certainly not saying you know, 2,000 2, organizations in one town just to deal with, uh, you know, uh, with, 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 with homelessness. No, I'm not saying that at all. You have one, maybe two, depending on different types of, of, of people, different serving different needs within that community. Um, but that's something else, I, again, it's, it's, it's thinking on the, on, on the micro level. Um, what, if, what happens when not all those organizations are pulling their weight? Um, and not all of them are doing the work that they're that they're supposed to be doing that can't be necessarily be regulated and it's and they're not doing anything illegal. They're just not providing the level of service at the level that one would think those clients need in order for them to be successful within that not for profit. So again, a different way of thinking about it, I think. Fair enough. So let me ask you a completely different question, but related to your last point. Let's talk about board development. Board development is one of the key things as we look at a nonprofit organization. When you've got an organization, you need an active board. You need people who are really invested in the organization that are going to be doing what it is that you're trying to do. What are some of the tips that you have in board development? And you mentioned the dinner committee to I want to focus more on the board for the moment because the board operates the whole year. The dinner committee operates for one event. So when we look at that board development, what are some of the things that we really need to consider uh, to help us build that board and in a way that's going to really help organization forward? So I, I think that the, the possibly the, the most important thing that any board can do is leave leave the ego at the door. Ego does not belong in 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 a board setting, um, and unfortunately, you know more often than not, you do see ego creeping in. You do see ego, you know, coming in where it 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 starts creating challenges for for the organization. By the way, it's not only from the board side. Sometimes it's from the uh, from the organization side as well. And I'll I'll tell you an interesting uh, story about that uh, in 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 a minute uh, potentially. Um, depending how the conversation goes, but I think that's the first, the first and foremost that that the ego has got to be left at the at, at the front door. Um, 
in the not-for-profit world, we talk about the three W's of um, not, not just with donors, but specifically with, with boards and committees. And the three W's are wealth, wisdom, and work. Uh, and any organization needs all three in order to be successful. You're not necessarily going to find all three components in any one individual. That's, that's rare, but it does exist. Um, but you need those people, of course, who are going to be bringing wealth. Um, and any donor is a person who brings wealth to, to an organization. It doesn't have to be a million dollar check in order for, for, for wealth. You know, it, a $20 check is also contributing wealth to the organization. Um, there's that wisdom, um, whether it's it's the wisdom of age, whether it's the wisdom of, 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 of life experience, uh, whether it's wisdom of having run a major company uh, and bringing those tools uh, to, to bear for the not-for-profit, there's that, that, there's that W, that, that second W, the, that wisdom. And the third is work where you have board members who are literally roll up their sleeves uh, and they're not afraid to, to make calls to donors. They're not afraid to, you know, we've got an event coming up, you need swag, swag bags packed, what can I do to help? That's part of it, uh, part of it as well. Um, you know, and again, it's rare to find all three, but when you recognize that those three components are so, so incredibly valuable and for an organization to utilize those, those, those volunteers in the best possible way based on their strengths, whether it's wealth, whether it's wisdom, whether it's wealth and wisdom, whether it's wisdom and work, whether it's Wealth and work, those two sometimes uh, go together as well. Um, it's, it's providing the best opportunities for the not-for-profit to move things forward for their clients and for the people that they serve in the best possible way. Those, I think, are the two key, the two, the two, the two major takeaways. The third takeaway that I would also have when it comes to boards is don't be afraid about fundraising. It's not that scary. Um, and there are different ways to do it. You don't necessarily have to be the person to pick up the phone. Helping helping your not-for-profit uh, um, professionals reach out to 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 donors to open the door for other donors. Uh, you can go to a, a, a solicitation. As a board member, you don't even necessarily have to say anything, but your very presence at that meeting helps the professionals raise the money that they need to for the organization. Um, and I think that that's something that's absolutely crucial um, that, you know, again, board board members very often or, or too infrequently get involved in the fundraising that's necessary. And they're, they're generally the, the people who are, are able to open those doors. Uh, they, they, they have to be given the ability to do it. They have, it has to be made comfortable for them. But that, at the same time, they need to understand there is an expectation that as board members, this is what they need to do. Uh, because that's the only way that an organization is really gonna be successful. Thank you. And it's really important uh, to keep those three W's in mind, um, wealth, wisdom, and work, because the more that you know exactly what you're getting into, um, the better it's going to be. And by the way, that applies not only for the nonprofit boards, but the for-profit boards as well. I mean, there's a lot of value in those um, board seats for the for-profit world, just as there is in the nonprofit world. So Ryan, you mentioned earlier that there was a story that you wanted to share about boards and uh, the development aspect. Can you share that with us again, please? Sure, sure. Uh, it was actually a very interesting story. And, and, and what, 
what's interesting about the story, I think it's the it's it's an understanding of that intersection between business and the not-for-profit world. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going to tell it this way. Uh, there, there was a, I was working for an organization a, a good number of years ago uh, where, I'll be honest, the, the, the board wasn't a particularly functional board. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't quite argue that it was completely dysfunctional, but it bordered on that. So again, I'm not going to say the name of the organization um, out of uh, you know out of interest in protecting their uh, anonymity. Uh, but we had a very interesting opportunity. There was a major, major donor, not only of our organization at the time, uh, but this was a, a, a phenomenal philanthropist. Uh, this woman and her husband would typically give uh, in in the millions of dollars every single year to organizations across the United States and frankly across the world. Um, it was really, I mean, having somebody like this in your court, absolutely tremendous. I mean, very, very well-known person uh, in, 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 in multiple areas in, in the not-for-profit world, uh, very successful business, of course. Um, any, or, any organization would have absolutely loved, loved to have had, uh, had, had, to have had her on, on, on their board. Um, there was a situation that had happened where the, an organization that was one of, her, of this major donors' pet projects um, had a major PR issue, not related to the donor at all. Um, she discovered this afterwards and was actually phenomenally embarrassing for her uh, because not only was she the chair of that particular board for that for a different organization, but she had created the board. She had brought all her friends on board, um, her friends who were willing to roll up their sleeves, her friends who were willing to provide the wisdom that we spoke about, her friends that had checkbooks and were willing to, to, to write out checks to support that organization. When she realized what had happened, she, she pulled not only all her funding, she pulled all her friends from that particular board, and I heard about it. Again, it was actually it wasn't just that I'd heard about it, it was something very, very public. And I remember going to the executive director of the organization that I was working for at the time, and I said, we have a golden, golden opportunity here. Um, this particular donor, who's a donor of ours, we know very, very well, is incredibly supportive of our organization in the most profound ways. Um, the organization that she was on the board of, that she was the board chair of, um, has, has really created a very, very difficult situation for her. I think this is an opportunity for us to ask her to join our board. And the response came back saying, well, this particular donor is known to be difficult. She can, you know, she's demanding. To which my response was, that's fantastic. When can we sign her up? Um, and the response came back, yeah, yeah, but 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 she has very, very high expectations. And it can be very, I've heard that it's very, very difficult to work with her as a board member. To which I responded, wonderful. When can I have her seat set up and an office space set up? Because this is the kind of person we, we want to be challenged. We need to be challenged. Any business whether they're a for-profit business or a not-for-profit business, has got to challenge themselves constantly. And this organization simply wasn't willing to do it. Um, and part of it was that, you know, that, that, that fear of, of having a board member who could actually, one, not only bring real, real gravitas to the organization, but bring tremendous wisdom, tremendous profound wisdom. This was somebody who, in her, her, her absolutely elegant Gucci suits would show up and literally roll up her sleeves and stuff envelopes with everybody else. This is the kind of board member you want. This is the kind of chair that you want 
on your board. Um, and it was phenomenally sad that uh, they, they wouldn't take the plunge. Um, and I think that if you were looking at any other major for-profit business, they would have said, sign her up. When can we get her started? This is what we want, because it is something that is so crucial to the success of an organization. Um, I look back, unfortunately, in that organization, which is which does phenomenally amazing work, but they're not developing. They're not growing. Um, had they taken the plunge and brought this, yeah, maybe very, very difficult board, board member on board, she would have brought a whole cadre of people with her. Um, the board would have become a lot stronger. The organization would have become a lot stronger had they been willing to take that. I'm not even considering it a plunge. It's not. It's, a, it's, it's an educated decision based on what is absolutely needed for that individual organization. We've got to think about it in different perspectives. And it's interesting to think about it in that regard. I know that the uh, church board uh, development on my side for what I serve on and how we run into so do we take a particular person uh, on the board? Or do we stay away from those people on the board? Uh, there's sometimes battle goes, if you will, in some ways is, well, we really don't think this person would be a good fit on the board because the morale of the organization or the other people on the board, even if they may be a worker, but they may just rub people differently. Um, in that regard. And so it really comes down to what is it that we're looking at and how do we manage that process so that we can really see, all right, this is how we're doing it and where we go and things along those lines. Yeah. But by so the way, really I should just say personality is incredibly important. It really is. Uh, and I, it, this wasn't on a board level, but I was working on an event a number of years ago. Um, I, I was working uh, for, for a school at the time, and we were planning on putting together a major uh, auction. Uh, and I brought three committee members together, people who I knew were just very, very involved in the school. Um, and I misread one of them. I misread one of them. Um, two of the people who were there were gung-ho. This is great. We've got ideas. All the, the, the ideas are flowing where we can get uh, uh, um prizes and we can get the you know auction items etc cetera, etc cetera. was phenomenal and then there was this one person who just sat there in the meeting and said i don't think it can work and just everything went downhill from there so having that personality that 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 is 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 so crucial making sure that you have a board of people who yeah do get along yeah you have to have you have to have a certain amount of disagreement. A certain amount of disagreement is valuable. It really is. Uh, you know what? What? What's the uh, the, the the expression? But not an expression. When when President Lincoln put his cabinet together, um, he put his cabinet together made up of, of of it was a cabinet of rivals, people who did not naturally get along with each other, and it helped him reach the point that he did uh, as president precisely because he was open to listening to other ideas. And I think boards need to do that as well. You have to listen to what other people are saying um, and you have to have those personalities that do jive. Um, again, they don't have to get along perfectly, but at, at the very least are respectful to each other and constantly move that mission forward. And again, you, you, you mentioned the word ego again. Ego belongs at the door. It doesn't belong in a boardroom. And it's really important also, you mentioned the having people that 
say no. People that do have those disagreements with you. And it's really important whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit business, when you hire people onto your team, you want people, A, that are not in the same skill set as you. You want differing skills. And you also don't want only yes people coming onto your team. You want those people who are going to push back and say, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing it the right way? Because that's what's really going to help you continue to grow. And so it's important to think about that, not only from the board development, but also from the uh, perspective of what are you doing in terms of getting the right people in your organization, no matter how you're set up. And so as we move forward in the lifespan of the organization, so we've got the board, we've got the organization set up and the uh, running of the organization set up appropriately. We know that there's a lot that is there that we need to be thinking about. And then of course the fundraising to help us with the mission that it is that we're trying to do. So as we look at all of what it is that we're seeing in the nonprofit space, what are some of the other things that an organization absolutely needs to be aware of or cognizant of in its operations as we look at wrapping up our conversation? From, from an operational perspective, I, I would say probably one of the most important things, certainly from, from my perspective, is giving giving your team, especially the development team, um, the ability to the ability to take calculated risks, um, the ability to to look at a project, to look at a campaign, and say, can we do this differently? Can we do this better? Um, constantly re-examining how how you do things and how you how you run your not-for-profit business. Uh, you know, there there is. I, I was working for a a school in in Los Angeles many many years ago. Um, that was part of my, as you mentioned, the five-year stint uh, on the on the West Coast. And my very very first board meeting, um, I was brought in to 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 give the board my my overall vision uh, for for how the development department, which now fell on on my shoulders, how it was going to function, um, or and what what the plans were essentially for the first year. Um, so I gave a a, a brief you know five ten minute uh, presentation. The president didn't want anything but anything longer than that, but. One of the things that struck me, and this is this is the only time I've ever experienced this um, from from any board, for any organization that I've ever worked with, and it's something I encourage my clients to do because I think it is so incredibly important. In front of the entire board, the president looked at me and said, "Ryan, if you think that there is an idea that you have that you believe will make money for our school, run with it. Run with it." We know that not every idea you bring is necessarily going to work, but we want you to try. We want you to take risks. And I have to tell you, that was music to my ears because I'm a creative person. I come up with new and interesting ways of doing things. Not necessarily all my ideas. Sometimes I'll take an idea that I saw that I absolutely love from the for-profit world and say, listen, this works phenomenally well in the not-for-profit world. Um, but the idea is to always come up with, with, with novel and new ways of doing things. 
unfortunately, so many not-for-profits, um, when it comes to that operational side of things, simply don't allow the, 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 the fundraiser, the development director, the director of institutional advancement, whatever the executive director, whatever their title may be, they don't always allow them to 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 use that creativity and to, and, and to run with that creativity. Uh, I still remember uh, I, I I ran a campaign was actually at coincidentally at that school in LA um, where the the year prior to me arriving uh, they would have this annual campaign and that would take place in May um, and it would bring in between fifteen and twenty five thousand dollars a year. Um, so I wasn't hugely impressed with that. Um, I said, we've got to do better. Uh, and I came up with a concept. It took me about four or five months to, 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 to get the president and the board to understand what we were doing. Um, but I went from, let's say, 25,000 the year before to half a million when I ran the campaign the following year, because we tweaked it. We did it in a different way. I did it in a way that involved the entire community in a way that the school had never, ever thought of running before, never thought of doing this way before. Um, and had I not been given that 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 ability, that, that imprimatur to say, run with it, take a risk, I, I would never have succeeded in achieving that 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 kind of stratospheric results. I mean, it was just, you know, it was absolutely tremendous. 25000 to $500,000 from one year to another. Um, and again, it's that it, when, when organizations give their staff, their teams, that ability to innovate, to come up with new ideas. And again, they'll come back to that ego concept again. Uh, a not-for-profit leadership team cannot have ego involved when the, when when somebody when it can be a an associate director an assistant d development director who comes up with an idea it could be the idea that gets you from that 25,000 to that half a million dollar range overnight but you got to be open you got to be listening you got to be willing to listen and and removing the ego is the very very first step in order to 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 achieve that. Um, again, we haven't necessarily spoken practically what that necessarily means, um, but I think that that's a major major step that any organization can and should be taking. Will you take take a step back and say it's not about me as an individual? It's not allowed to be about me as an individual. I've got to keep the organization in mind constantly because when you do that that's when your team is able to perform at the highest possible level you're giving them the tools to do that you're giving them the 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 um the 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 pat on the back that little push to say you've got this because you know what they do people join the not-for-profit world because they they're passionate about why they do, about about doing something bigger doing something that's more important than they view the, themselves as individuals giving them that ability to take that that passion and run with it yes sometimes it's got to be tempered there's no question but often just let people run with those ideas those ideas take flight and along with them the organization takes flight as well and that's a great uh way of summing it up so ryan let me ask you how can people find out more about you well, the first thing is they can certainly find me uh, on my website, uh, rhstrategic.net. 
That's rhstrategic.net. Um, and of course, they can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm always uh, looking, looking to meet new people uh, on LinkedIn, uh, connecting with them, learning from them, uh, learning from each other. Uh, and uh, that's probably the best way to find me and uh, looking forward to, uh, to, to helping uh, people out there who may need a little bit more guidance uh, with their not-for-profit work. Thank you. And there's definitely a lot of organizations that can certainly be reaching out to you, Ryan, to help figure out what it is that they're trying to do and how can they get more clarity in their direction from what it is that they're in need of doing. Many organizations are trying to sit there and they're operating very often in the dark. They're not really sure what the problem is. And it very often can be the difference, like you said, between the $25,000 and the $500,000 um, annual raise or uh, revenue uh, donations and whatever it is you're calling it um, to bring investments, it in. Investments. Investments, yes. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so how you bring it in, and it's really going to be important. So Ryan, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. Um, I think that everyone got a lot of value. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, please make sure that uh, when people, if people do reach out to me to mention your name, so I have some context about where they heard, uh, heard about me. Um, and uh, really, I, again, I really, really appreciate that you brought me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So as we wrap up, if you are running a nonprofit organization or you're running a for-profit organization, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the principles that we discussed in this episode are valid, no matter how you look at it, whether it's the ego at the door, or I call it the attitude tree. When you walk into the office, if you've got a bad attitude, you write it down, you post it on the tree outside the office. And if you want to take it home at the end of the day, you can pick it up and take it back home with you, but it doesn't come inside the office. You are going to be doing what you need to be doing inside this space at all times that you are going to be steering clear of all of those potential landmines. Too often, we get bogged down with the idea of, oh my God, I can't work with this person. I can't do that. No way am I doing this because it seems too little or too much or whatever it is that's not right. And so we really need to be thinking what it is that we are doing to further the organization's goals. Again, for-profit, non-profit, doesn't matter. We need to be focused on the big picture. What is it that people are trying to do? And where do we go from there? The more that you can really be focused on what exactly it is that you are doing, the more likely it is that you are really going to be successful in the long run. On that note, Ryan, thank you again for being my guest. This has been another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. And until next time, here's to your success. This has been another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.